BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, I'm Whitney Port and this is With Wit. A lot of you may know me from reality TV and the reality is a lot's happened since the hills. With Wit is dedicated to having real, raw, and occasionally ridiculous conversations with the people who have had a profound impact on me because on With Wit, very little is off limits. Subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing conversations to come. New episodes of With Wit are available every Tuesday on all platforms. My body is not an image. It's an experience. It's not an ornament. It's an instrument. My life goal is not to be pretty. My life goal is to experience life, to have meaning, to have purpose. I am so much more than my body. So it's not about going from hating your body into loving your body. It's going from body obsession to realizing I'm more than my body. I have so much more to offer. Hey, everybody, and welcome to RealPod. I'm Victoria Garrick, former D1 athlete and mental health and body image advocate. Every Wednesday, I'll be bringing you awesome guests, weekly inspiration, and the realest conversations around everything and anything. Now let's get real. Welcome back to Real Pod. I hope you are doing well. I hope this podcast finds you well, as always. Today's topic is near and dear to my heart. If you clicked on this episode because you're just curious about hearing the story or it looked interesting to you, or you listen to every episode of Real Pod. Obviously, I love you. Thank you. Shout out. If you clicked on this episode, though, because you struggle with binge eating or you're trying to learn more about overeating and what the healthy relationship with food could look like, I just want to start by saying, I see you. You are not alone in the shame you feel around food. And I wanted to make a point of stopping to acknowledge that because actually my relationship with food, which as many of you probably know, I struggled with binge eating disorder and it was very difficult for me going through that, obviously. But that was actually the last thing I ever kind of came forward and got real about. I talked about my anxiety and depression for the first time on the TED Talk stage. And that's kind of where my advocacy for mental health started. But the conversation around disordered eating and my issues with food and body image was the last thing that I let come to the surface. And a lot of the reason was because I felt so much shame around my relationship with food. I just thought that it was 
for lack of a better word, I honestly thought it was gross. I didn't want people to know how much I was eating. And I didn't want people to know I struggled with how I looked. So I kept it a secret. And, you know, I just wanted to share that because I know a lot of you will message me and say you admire the vulnerability or the realness or how much I share. And it's important to know that this was really difficult for me in the beginning. It's been years now that I've been talking about my issues openly like this. But when I was starting to to speak out, the binge eating advocacy came last because that's how difficult it was for me. And I just want you to know that going into this episode, that if you are someone that is maybe listening to this in secret or just feeling really alone with your eating, I have been there. You are not alone. And I'm really hoping that today's episode can comfort you or inspire you in some way. So I want to introduce our guest today. She is absolutely fabulous. Her name is Jessie Jean. She is a certified eating psychology coach who helps women stop binge eating and stop overeating. After struggling for over a decade with her own eating disorder, Jessie finally broke free from dieting and shame, and she's going to take us through her whole journey and tell all on this episode. Jessie is passionate about uplifting others and has helped thousands of women overcome eating disorders and create healthy relationships with food, fitness, and body image. So on this episode, Jessie is going to get real. She's going to share how she went from counting literally every single macro to no longer thinking about food. So those tips, tricks, and advice are going to be on this episode. And hopefully by hearing Jessie's story, you can know that you're not alone and hopefully feel inspired to seek the change or make the change that you and your body and your relationship with food might need. All right, without further ado, let's get into this episode with Jessie Jean. Jesse, here we go. I'm so excited to have you on Real Pod. How are you doing? I, you know, I think you're amazing and I just love chatting with you. So I'm really looking forward to this. Thank you so much for having me, Victoria. I'm excited to, to dive in and to chat. I want you to take me back to the first time you felt yourself thinking about food or approaching food in a way that started to lean towards unhealthy. Maybe you didn't recognize it, But now looking back with that self-awareness, when did your path start to stray? Mm, Yeah, such a good question. So my freshman year in high school, before that, I didn't even have a concept of my body image. Like I didn't know if I looked good, if I didn't, if I was pretty, if I wasn't, I just existed in my own skin. And I was, you know, the most exciting thing was when I got to go to the mall. Like I didn't think about my body until I was a freshman in high school. And I started to really err on the side of perfectionism. I felt like I had to do everything and I had to be the best at it. My parents told me if I wanted to go to college, I needed to earn scholarships because unfortunately they weren't going to be able to afford to send me. And I knew that I wanted to be able to go to college. I knew that I didn't want to continue kind of the cycles of kind of being where we were at financially. I wanted to make something more of myself. And so I got into uh, my freshman year and I was doing cheerleading and gymnastics and track and I was doing all these different things. I was doing student government. I was volunteering. I was involved in my church. I was doing everything I possibly could in advanced academics, trying to be the best at it. So hopefully somebody would notice me and I would get scholarships so that I could afford to go to college. And I forfeited. I gave up sleep in order to do my best in everything. So starting my freshman year of high school, was I saying my freshman year of college? I met my freshman year. No, you said, you've said high school. 
Okay, perfect. Which honestly, I'm I'm happy for you that you skipped this torment in middle school. I feel yeah. like most people are like middle school. I remember sixth grade, seventh grade, like the diets were starting. <laughs> yeah, I am too. I didn't grow like when I was in middle school, when I was in high school, there was I was the cell phones were barely becoming a thing. So yeah, I didn't have the true. pressure of having an iPhone when I was that age. I didn't have the pressure of social media. So I think maybe that delayed it. I think it's happening earlier and earlier now because we have things like social media and everybody has a cell phone. I dove in to freshman year and I started sleeping four or five hours a night. And this continued all the way through college. I was sleeping so little because I had to be the best at everything. And in order to be the best at everything, I didn't have time in my day. And so what started to happen was I started to lean towards caffeine and food to fuel me to get through the day because I was exhausted. Mm. And as a growing girl does, I was growing and I was also eating more and not sleeping. And so I noticed my body start to change. And as I saw my body start to change and these things that I was doing with food, I started to feel really shameful. And I didn't know why I was embarrassed by what I was doing with food, but I knew I didn't want other people to see. And that's kind of where it started was I started to eat in secret and I started to, and I didn't even have the words binge eating or overeating or eating disorder in my awareness at all. I just started to eat in secret and eat a lot more than what I needed and then feel really guilty for it. And then resolve that I wasn't going to eat the next day. And these cycles just started to intensify more and more and more as I continued throughout high school. And I started to feel very, very embarrassed in my body. I was naturally very petite and I was growing and I was a gymnast and I was doing cheerleading and I was, you know, doing these crazy stunts. And all of a sudden, as I was going through high school, my body was getting bigger and I was transitioning from being on the top of these big pyramids to, to being a base and having these littler girls come up. And for me, I felt like, Oh my gosh, I'm failing. Like what's wrong with me? And it just started to get to this point where it was crippling, where I was so insecure in my body. I was embarrassed of the way that I looked. I sometimes just felt paralyzed in the morning getting ready because I hated what I saw in my reflection. So that's kind of how it all got started. And that's a lot to manage with the pressure of needing to earn a scholarship, needing to be perfect in school. And then you feel like you have this deep little secret that no one can know about. And something that I think you can speak on too, that I actually just learned from a mentor of mine, which I thought was so powerful is when we do things in secret, it is because we don't feel like we'd be worthy of love if someone knew what we were doing. Totally. No matter what it is. And I similarly did binge in secrecy as well. And there's something about food where And I always relate this to gluttony is a sin. Like it's written about in the Bible as if you eat too much, you're Mm -hmm. a sinner. And then here I am and here you are eating all this food. So of course we don't want anyone to know. (laughs) Mm -mm. No. And I felt like my friends seem to be so balanced with food. All these girls that I'm really close with are these petite little girls and they're strong and they're fit. And now my body is changing and my cheeks are filling out and my body is just, I mean, I'm, I'm a growing girl, but I was so ashamed of the fact that my body was changing and I would resolve to eat very little or not eat at all. And then I would snap because I would be so hungry and I was so exhausted and I would just go nuts on food. And it would, I would transition from like eating all of this sugar to now I need something salty to going back to sugar, to eating salty to the point where my tongue was raw. My stomach was, I was in so much pain. I was bloated. My fingers were swollen. And I just thought, Oh my gosh, what am I 
doing to myself? And I didn't want anybody to know. I felt so embarrassed. I'm like, this is absolutely crazy. Why can I not just eat balanced with food? I feel so ashamed. And it was something that I told myself, I will never tell anybody that I'm struggling with this because I just was mortified that if anybody found out, they would think I'm disgusting. Like, how could you do this? That's so gross that those were the things going on in my head. You know, what's the thing that just baffles me the most is you said your body was changing and that was your first signal of, okay, maybe I need to do something here because my body's changing. Our bodies, of course, are going to change from 13 to 15 years old. I feel like 13 and then a 15-year-old yourself, you don't look the same. Mm-hmm. Yet we think we're supposed to be these tiny, literally pre have these prepubescent bodies. And then we mm-hmm. get to high school. And so it's something I've tried to help promote and kind of talk about. And I'm glad you're mentioning this is how much our bodies are going to change throughout the course of our life that we're never going to be able to weigh the amount we did when we were 13 or 14 years old compared to when we were 16 or 17. It's just different. You know, it is sad that so many women are triggered by the development of their bodies that they think they need to somehow contain this childlike figure that Mm -hmm. is impossible to maintain. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we are all changing at different rates. It's like when you're, when you're that young, your body is changing so fast, but everybody's body is going through these growth spurts at different times. And to feel ashamed of something that is so natural is because we don't talk about it. And then we have these ideas in our mind of what we should be. We have the media now, social media that is telling us what we should be, what we should look like. And we're idolizing certain body types and we're not acknowledging the fact that there's so many different body types. We're all changing. We're all growing. And actually growing and changing is a privilege because it means we're still alive. Not everybody gets the option. (laughs) I say aging is a privilege. Not everybody gets to do it. And it's like the more our body changes, the more we're experiencing life. And now, you know, now going into my thirties, I'm like, wow, yeah, there's wrinkles. Things sag. They're not as plump as they used to be. And I'm like, well, okay, here we go. I guess is what happens, but what a privilege it is that I get to do this. But man, I was so ashamed and I wanted to, you know, I had these certain sizes in my head that I wanted to stick to. If I could just fit in this pair of jeans, if I could just stay this size, it was like I attached all of my worth and all of my feelings of security and I'd be confident and I'd be, you know, I would fit in and I'd be liked by the boys if I was this size, but I need to have curves in all the right places. You know, I was like, I need to, I needed to be curvy here and straight here and toned here and voluptuous here. And it was just like this pressure to look a certain way was, it was exhausting. So what happened next? Yeah. So I continued to struggle in secrecy. It continued to get worse. It continued to get more dramatic. My binges got more dramatic. My periods of restriction were more intense. It was like the pendulum swing just kind of got faster and faster. I was going from, you know, one further end of the, the spectrum to the next. And I did get scholarships and I went to college and I thought, you know what, once I'm on my own and I can have control of grocery shopping and I can have control of kind of my own environment, it's going to be entirely different. And my mindset 
starting from the time I was in high school was always, I was just addicted to the destination. I was, I had some friends who loved high school. They were so sad it was ending. I was like, I can't wait for the next thing. I'm ready to be in college. When I got to college, I couldn't wait to get out of college. I can't wait to get into the real world. And it was like, I was always addicted to finishing, to getting to the next thing. And so when I was in high school, I thought, you know what? This is life. Life is starting now that I get to go to college. I'm going to have control over the food team. I'm going to have control over when I can work out and when I can go to the gym and it's all going to be better. And it intensified so much when I went to college. The pressure was even more intense to excel in academics and to make something of myself because I thought if I don't do well in college, I don't have a safety net to fall back on. You know, my parents don't have money for me to fall back on. I have to make something of myself. And so I just put more and more pressure on myself to be perfect. And then I wasn't doing athletics in college. I decided the pressure feels too much. I don't want to continue on. I want to focus on my school. And so I wasn't working out. I wasn't as active as I was. And I started to put this pressure on myself to make up for what I ate. And again, my body was still growing. I was dealing with a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. And then I had the option to buy whatever I wanted and nobody was cooking for me. So I wasn't having balanced meals and I didn't have time. And so the pressure got even more and more. And I started working out sometimes two hours a day, standing on the elliptical or standing on the treadmill for hours on end. And just trying to burn off what I what I ate the day before or what I binged on the day before. And I got to a point in college where I started questioning if life was even worth it because I was so exhausted of the mental cycles. I thought, I don't know if I can continue on. I feel absolutely nuts. Like I intellectually know I don't want to binge. I don't want to overeat. I don't want to hate my body. I want to be balanced. But there was this feeling in me, this impulse to do these things with food that later caused me so much shame and guilt, eating food and then spitting it out, hiding wrappers at the bottom of the trash can, pouring water over my food, sometimes in a really strong moment of impulse, stealing my roommate's food and being like, what the heck is wrong with me? Like, why can't I get my shit together? And it got to this point where I was like, I'm crazy. I'm the only one in the world that's dealing with this. I had no idea other people dealt with this. I thought I was the only one. And so it got to a really, really dark point where I had this thought and I thought, wow, that's not like me. I'm this bubbly personality to really get to this place where I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I want to keep living. I started to take laxatives to try and make up for what I was eating, tried to make myself purge and, you know, was over exercising, living in the gym and then binging. It was just these cycles were, were consuming my life. It's what I thought about first thing in the morning. I thought about my weight. I got into dance when I was in college and the pressure being <laughs> in the dance world is unreal. And your dance professors are telling you that you need to be a certain size. You need to lose weight in order to fit this part in, you know, in the performance. And I just, it was like, I was being crushed under this. I'm not good enough. I'm never going to be good enough weight. I finally mustered up the courage to put myself into therapy. I didn't tell anybody I was going to therapy. I thought I have to do this or I might, I might not continue on. Like, I don't know if I can continue doing this. I sold stuff that I owned in order to be able to afford therapy. And I started going to therapy and while it was therapeutic and I was I was able to talk through some things with my counselor and I was able to process some things from my childhood. My behaviors with food and the things I was doing with my body weren't changing. And that was really, really disheartening because I thought, wow, it took me so much courage 
to, and so much strength to muster up, to muster up the, the, this courage to put myself into therapy. And I'm still doing this thing. What is wrong with me? And then I, my therapist said, well, have you heard of OA? It's like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, but it's Overeaters Anonymous. They have these, it's a 12 step program. There's these free meetings. You can go multiple times a day. They're all over the place, just like AA. I was so mortified and so embarrassed to put myself in one of these meetings. Right. Because now she's labeled you as an addict Mm -hmm. of food. And that is heavy. Mm -hmm. Even when I was labeled disorder, binge eating, it's, it's heavy, but addict and then the suggestion of meetings, how did you handle that suggestion in that moment? Were you open to it? Were you like, great, I'll do anything? Or was it you really realizing where you've brought yourself to? Yeah, it was the lowest of the low. And I I went to these meetings and the meeting started out just like an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. You go around, you say who you are, and you declare basically your disorder. I am an overeater. My life has become unmanageable. And you declare this over yourself. And it's so disempowering. And now all that I know about the neuroscience of behavior change, I'm like, oh, these this was not the path to go to reaffirm being disordered. So looking back, you don't think Overeaters Anonymous was helpful to you? No. And I I won't bash it because I know that these types of programs have helped many of people, but it was not effective for me. And I think that it is not the most efficient route to go. Yeah. And that's fine. I mean, everyone has what's going to work for them, but it is just a bummer that you spent so much time trying these different things like therapy and Overeaters Anonymous to help you with your relationship with food when really you ended up finding out the answer was something called intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I was originally pursuing sports broadcast when I was in college and because of my eating disorder, I decided I can't do that because I can't be traveling. I got a job as the in-game host with the Colorado Rockies baseball team. You know, I was the girl on the jumbotron. I was announcing these, you know, fun in-between inning games and it was a blast. And to see myself on this massive screen in front of 50,000 people, it was like the pressure to look a certain way was just crushing me. And I was starting to get in with some of these announcers and broadcasters and they were taking me under their wing and kind of showing me the path. And they traveled, they traveled with the team. They were gone, you know, on these 10 game streaks where they would be away and then they'd be home and they'd be in different cities. And I thought there is no way I'm going to be able to control food if I'm constantly traveling and I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to blow up. I'm going to gain tons of weight. Like there's no way that I could do this. And so I literally had to decide a different career path because I was afraid I wouldn't be able to control food and my exercise routine. Wow. It just goes to show how much our relationship with food can interfere or hinder what we want to accomplish in life. And I relate to what you said about the sports broadcasting, a big part. I was, we've talked about this. Mm -hmm. I majored in sports journalism as well. And I just had this moment of, I don't think I can put on makeup and a tight dress every single day. And Mm -hmm. that was a part of it. That's just not me. I don't wear a ton of makeup. Being in front of the camera, I just thought like, if I'm trying to make the decision to not prioritize my looks in my life, yet I'm going to pursue a career where how I look is literally going to get me jobs or not get me jobs. I don't think this is a good career for me. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And I didn't even have, I wanted to do it, 
but I was like, there's no way because I was so focused on my looks. I didn't think I could control it being in a different city, you know, every single week. Like I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be able to meal prep. I wouldn't be able to have access to my gym and the routine that I needed in order to feel safe. It was so, so debilitating. And I resolved that when I got out of college, I resolved that the only way to really get comfortable in my own skin was to pursue working in the fitness industry because then I could not only work out on my own time, I could make it my life to work out. So I might as well be a personal trainer because then I can basically work out all day long, you know, and I can focus on controlling my food and teaching other people how to control their food and I can control my body. You know, nobody can stop me. Nobody can, can look at me and think what I'm doing is unhealthy because it's my job. So that's what I did. I decided to pursue personal training after college. And that's, that's where I went even deeper into my eating disorder. You've mentioned, and I love how you own this, that you were for a decade of your life, you were binge eating, overeating on this yo-yo diet cycle for a decade, which is a very, very long time. And I can even tell from how you've told us about your story so far, it's at each new destination, right? Which you're chasing, you're finding ways to control it or to cover it or to mask it up better and better and better. When did you finally, whether it was learn about intuitive eating or finally have a breakthrough where you let go of that control and actually took that step to recover in some way? Yeah. So I thought this is the way out. This was my resolve was I'm going to work in the fitness industry and I'm also going to compete because if I go into bodybuilding and bikini competitions, there's no way I can fail because how mortifying would it be to not follow through and then stand on a stage in front of a panel of judges and audience who are literally there to judge your body against other women's bodies. You will succeed. There's no way the pressure is too high. The stakes are too high. You will succeed. So that's exactly what I did. It's crazy that you say this because I can I remember, and I think at people who have had relationships with food like you and me can mm-hmm. remember just the absurd lengths you take to succeed on a diet or to make it happen. I remember thinking, I wish I had all the money in the world because if I did, I would hire someone to be by my side at all times to tell me what I can and cannot eat. That was one of my fantasies, having like yeah. a food bodyguard who would just have to be with me at all times and tell me what to eat and what not to eat. I would like slap your hand, like, don't eat that. Literally, I, I would be like, I'm going to pay you to make sure I only eat this many calories a day. Make it happen. Here's your money. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like those, like fantasizing about following through and getting to the body you want, thinking that's going to be the answer to confidence. That's going to be the answer to freedom. I remember thinking the pressure is going to be so high that I am finally going to be balanced with food. Well, sure enough, the pressure was high enough that I starved myself for months on end. I was so emaciated going into my first competition that it was, I was living in Florida at the time. Competition was here in Colorado from here. So we flew back and, or she was here. I flew back. And when I was going through the airport, I was a week out from my competition. I was so emaciated that I could barely walk 10 steps through the airport without feeling like I was going to pass out. I would hold on to the side of the walls as I was walking through the airport to go to my different gate because I I was, my body was shutting down on me. I had pushed my body to the 
limits. I was exhausted walking up a flight of stairs. I had no energy in me. I had lost my period. My hair was falling out. My skin was terrible. I had no sex drive. I could hardly sleep. It was insane. I looked like, when I look back at pictures, I looked like I was strung out on drugs because my hormones were so out of whack. My eyes were were glassy. They were glazed over. I looked like a shell of a human. Which for everyone listening, these are the health repercussions of starvation, of forcing our body to take a shape it cannot naturally have. And mm-hmm. people teeter with this fate so lightly. But when you starve yourself, when you don't allow yourself to have nutrients, you feel it in this way, the ways you've just described. And it's serious. I mean, the thing that I value the highest is the ability to have kids. And even that can, you can become infertile if you're not providing yourself with nutrients. So it is important that people are aware of what can come as a permanent result of starvation. 100%, 100%. I rem- I remember I was sitting at my gate and I broke, quote unquote, broke, and I had a piece of gum and that was not allowed. And I remember <sighs> feeling so much shame that I broke and I had one gram of carb because I chewed a piece of gum to be at that extreme is just absolutely crazy. I remember on show day, I was backstage. I could hardly stand because I had no energy in me. My legs were shaking, not from the nerves, but because I I didn't have anything in me to hold me up on my shoes. And all I could think about backstage was I can't wait till this is over so I can go eat. I can't wait till this is over so I can go eat. I can't wait till this is over so I can go eat. And I look back at those pictures that night and I looked 20 years older than I do now because I was, my face was gaunt. My eyes were sunk in and I was eating at the cheesecake factory and I ate everything I could possibly fit in my belly at the cheesecake factory. I went home that night. I continued to eat. I woke up in the middle of the night. I continued to eat. The next morning I woke up and my belly was so bloated. I looked like I was, I was carrying a child. Like my belly was taut and bloated from all the food that I ate. And that binge, the the intensity of my binge eating cycles were, it was more intense than it had ever been those three, four months following my competition than in, than in my entire life. It was a massive rebound. I gained all of the weight back and I was left just thinking like, is this my life? Is this going to be my life? And it's probably because that restriction was the most severe restriction you'd ever done. So of course the end resulting binge is going to be so much greater. And it amazes me that this is even after all the therapy in college, after the Overeaters Anonymous meetings that we're still here. Mm-hmm. So give us some hope, yeah. Jesse. Finally, <laughs> yeah, so. when does this change for you? Yeah. So I continued to compete for a few years and and I remember Googling like how in the world do people compete more than once? Because I almost I thought I was almost going to die. Like, I know that sounds extreme, but when you can hardly walk 10 steps without feeling like you're going to pass out, I'm like, how in the world do people compete show after show after show? Like, how do they do this and not literally kill themselves? And I started to find a healthier approaches to competing. I started to find more qualified individuals to coach me. And I eventually got linked up with one of the foremost experts in the study of the metabolism. And he is a doctor and he's very well educated in terms of metabolism and how it works and how we can, you know, approach things from a healthier standpoint. And it was a step in the right direction. It was continuing. I learned about macros. I learned about how nutrients work in the body. I didn't have to follow this ridiculous meal plan that consists 
consisted of 12 different foods. Like there was options involved. We could do this in a healthier way. So I was making steps in a better direction. And that's when I started to hear of things like intuitive eating. And the first time I heard the word intuitive eating, I was walking out of the gym and my friend explained it to me. He said, it's basically where you eat when you're hungry and you stop when you're full. And I busted out laughing and I'm like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. I said, I would be elbow deep in a tub of ice cream if I listened to my my hunger cues. I'm always hungry is what I told him. And we just kind of both laughed and we're like, yeah, how stupid idea is that? But then I started to hear more and more about it. And I started to obsess about understanding the brain. I was understanding nutrition and the metabolism. And I just kind of started going down these rabbit holes on the internet, understanding neuroscience and how behavior change works. And I started to feel like, wait a second, I think this neural pathway, they're talking about these neural pathways, which are these habit loops through repeated action. You wire these habit loops into the brain that cause you to feel this impulse to do this thing that maybe intellectually, you know, you don't want to do. You can actually reprogram that through habituation, through a lot of repetition. And so I was like, wait a second, maybe there's hope for me. And I started to hear and learn more about intuitive eating. I was continuing to compete, but I was losing my steam and my energy for it. And I was getting looser and looser in tracking my macros. I'm like, maybe I don't have to do this as tight. Maybe I don't want to be as crazy about this. And I was just exhausted from tracking. And so as I started to learn more about intuitive eating and slowly pull this thread of understanding neuroscience, things started to click into place for me. I started to release this internal pressure that was causing me to be in these all or nothing cycles. And so It was a lot of self-discovery, a lot of self-study that led me to eventually this place where I no longer even feel the impulse to binge or overeat. I no longer have to use calories or macro tracking to feel balanced. I wake up and my first thought is not, what do I weigh? I don't even know what I weigh anymore. I could care less. My first thought is not, when can I eat? I never work out to make up for what I ate. And that was a result of trying intuitive eating fail, feeling like I was failing really hard at it saying, wait a second, maybe I can keep trying this. Maybe I can get better at this. Maybe I can listen to my body. Maybe I don't have to be afraid of certain foods. And I started to trust my body a little bit more and not hold myself to these unrealistic standards. My weight fluctuated, my body fluctuated. But what I also noticed was the pressure around food and this like shiny allure that food had started to dissipate. Two things. First, it is unbelievable how, I mean, it is believable because this is the reality we live in, that someone telling you to just listen to your body seems crazy because we've been conditioned to believe we should eat at certain times, we should eat certain foods, eat certain calories. My favorite comparison is to peeing, right? Imagine if people told you, you can only pee twice a day and you can only pee for 30 seconds, then you must stop peeing. And if you pee too much, you're not going to look good. I mean, that's not how we pee. We get the urge to pee. We pee. We don't feel like peeing. We don't pee. That's intuitive peeing. That's how we pee. (laughs) And that's the same with eating is our most natural form of eating is to listen to our bodies. Yet this diet culture that society has created and profits billions of dollars off of has convinced us to not listen to anything that we say, but everything that society says. Mm -hmm. I want you to break down a little bit more this transition because you are going from this person who's controlled this so intensely for 10 years and now 
we're trying intuitive eating. Were you good at it at first? Did you have binge relapses? Did you still weigh yourself? Tell me about this transition process. And then when you finally had that first day of, I didn't think about food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it started with, I was finishing with a competition and I was reverse dieting, which is essentially just slowly adding calories back in following a competition or following a diet. And I was slowly increasing my overall caloric intake. And I was getting tired of weighing and measuring every gram of protein, carbon fat that went in my mouth. I was sick and tired of it. I started to get looser and looser with tracking. Like, I don't, I just don't feel like it today. I already know so much about if you've ever struggled with food, you're pretty much a nutrition expert. It's like, I know how many grams of carbs are in this. I know how much protein <laughs> is in this. Do I really have to plug it in? And I decided, you know what? I'm not going to do it. Or maybe I'm not going to track today. And it just got, it was at this point where I was just sick and tired of it. And I would overeat for sure. But I realized that as I, didn't put as much pressure on getting things perfectly right or making sure I hit my macros. I didn't feel this compulsion to overeat as much. I thought, okay, if I give myself permission and I'm a little bit easier with myself, I'm a little bit more graceful with myself. Maybe I'm not going to want to eat all of the ice cream right now. Like I can have it in a little bit if I want it, but I'm, I'm actually full. And it was like this, this thing where I'm like, Whoa, I'm, I'm full. Like I'm, I'm sick and tired of the ice cream. And sometimes I would be totally mindless and I would overeat and I'd be so disappointed. I would go back the next day to really strictly tracking to feel safe. But then there would be moments where it was like, I could do it and I would lose interest in food. And I would tell myself, Hey, if you want more of this, you can have more of this, but you're genuinely full right now. And as I started to kind of talk to myself like this, it got easier and easier. And again, this allure that food had, it started to lose this excitement. It was exciting. But as I let myself go through it, as I let myself overeat without judgment, without guilt, without fear, as I let myself go through these periods of overeating, eventually I got to this point where I was just sick of overeating. I was sick of feeling bloated. I was sick of feeling lethargic. And I kept telling myself, you can have as much as you want. And as I told myself that, again, this allure that food had, it started to dissipate. And so, yeah, were there times where I would go into binge mode? Yes. And those were usually almost always associated with me sinking into the mindset of I'm not good enough in the body I'm in. When I would remind myself, no, your body's allowed to change and it's beautiful and it's worthy of love and connection. And it doesn't have to look like it looked like when you were competing. It doesn't have to look like this girl on Instagram. Your body is worthy right now. As I, as I continued to remind myself that the pressure with food continued to lessen. Having a body now that doesn't look like what we used to look like in high school. And that maybe is different from the body we would have wanted had we been back in our dieting ways. How have you learned to accept that? This is a question I get. I don't always know how to answer it. I'm hoping you can give some wisdom today to the people listening to this who think, I just cannot accept my body this way. I'm too heavy. I'm too overweight. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. So first thing I would say is your visual diet, the things that you are taking in visually on a day-to-day basis are probably reaffirming to you that your body's not good enough. If you're still thinking that way, our visual diet, what we look at on social media, what we see in the media, if we are not diligent in monitoring that and being disciplined with diversifying that, then our brain, our, our brain will take the sum total of everything that we look at and it will average it out and it'll say, that's ideal. That's normal. That's what you should look like. And if all you're looking at is society's unrealistic beauty ideals and your body doesn't match up to that, well, of course you're not going to feel good enough. But if your social media feed is diversified with bodies of all different shapes and sizes, women who are exuding confidence in all different shapes and sizes, if you are seeing more of these things, it's way easier to start to accept yourself in the body that you're in. And I think it's also really important that we practice doing media detoxes where we completely take ourselves off of social media, the internet, a couple days or maybe even a, a week, a month, and just remove that from what we're taking in and let our brain recalibrate. It's so important that our feed is not all one body type. If you're looking at your Instagram feed or your social media feed on a day-to-day basis and you're constantly comparing yourself, you have probably come into this place of what's called normative discontent. You've just accepted that it's okay to be uncomfortable in your body and you've gotten to this place where it's just normal for you to not like your body. You need to push back and say, no, this is not normal. I'm not going to sit here and continue to feel bad about myself. I'm going to figure out how to change the narrative going on in my head. And our visual diet is a big piece of that. So for me, it was unfollowing all of these people that they might be good people. I really like them. They're friends I connected with in bodybuilding. But for whatever reason, when I see their bodies or when I see their Instagram feed, it's causing me to not feel good enough. I need to mute them. I need to unfollow them again, not because they're bad people, but because it is causing me to slip into these traps of comparison. And also what really helped me was realizing my body is not an image. It's an experience. It's not an ornament. It's an instrument. My life goal is not to be pretty. My life goal is to experience life, to have meaning, to have purpose. I am so much more than my body. So it's not about going from hating your body into loving your body. It's going from body obsession to realizing I'm more than my body. I have so much more to offer. That is the breakthrough. That Mm -hmm. is everything. My body is not an image. It's an experience. Mm -hmm. We so often view ourselves as a head and a mind on this thing that we wish we could take off, change, mold, Photoshop, liposuction, whatever it is, plastic surgically fix, that we forget that like if you focus on your hands, there's a tingle there. Like you can feel life, your heartbeat in your chest. Like your body is so much more than what this mechanical device says it is. And I know you are an advocate for breaking that relationship with the scale, saying goodbye, dumping it. It's the X. We don't need you in our lives anymore. What are some words of wisdom you would give to people who are still attached to the scale, are still attached to that number, and it's negatively affecting their life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say 
you got to be real with yourself. Do you want to be driven by these vanity metrics of likes on your photo, number of followers, what the scale says, what the tag on your clothing says, or do you want to start experiencing life? And if the answer is you want to experience life, you want to get out of these cycles, you have to be willing to break up with and break your addiction to these metrics, to the calories on your freaking watch that you're burned or the steps that you've taken. Yes. Let go of these <laughs> yes. things. I'm such an advocate that. <laughs> the, the, the wristband that I, I can't even, I cannot even, don't no. even start <laughs> I'm like, like, does that, that would cause me so much anxiety. One, to have all my notifications come through on my freaking watch. Like, no way. You know what we should do, Jesse? We should come up with one that sends a message. Like, they don't know this, but every morning it says, you're killing it. You, you're amazing. Like, you, you should yeah. be, live your happy life today. And we yeah. can, I think it's like placebo too. If I saw it and it said, even about sleep, like you didn't sleep enough, I'd all of a sudden be like, I'm so tired. I can't go out today. Totally. Totally. It's like why, and these, these types of devices are keeping us from attuning to our body and feeling into our body. Like, how do I feel today? Did I sleep good? How do like, do, do I feel like I need more movement today? We we're so detached from our body, but divorcing our addiction to numbers is it's challenging because for a lot of us, it's become a sense of security, but I promise you as you pursue it, as you are willing to hide the scale, throw away the scale, delete the macro tracking app, you know, stop tracking your steps on a day-to-day basis. As you slowly take those steps, as you feel comfortable, I promise you it will bring a lot of liberation. And in the process, it might feel disorienting because you're used to gauging yourself and your day and how you feel about yourself off of these numbers. But as you switch out of that, and, and instead of wondering, what do I weigh today? How many steps did I take today? How many calories did I eat today? Start asking yourself the question, how do I feel today? How do I feel? What if instead of all the times we checked the device to ask it the answer, we instead turned to a journal and wrote down, how do I feel? And really explored that. And I do want to say, I I know there are people who use these Fitbits, these various things in ways that are healthy for them. Maybe they love numbers. This brings them joy. My guess is if you're this far into this podcast episode, that's probably not you. But I do want to say as a disclaimer, obviously, Jesse and I understand that some of this does help people. But the one thing I do want to talk to you about now is what are some of the first steps someone can take who agrees they're with us and they are like, okay, what next? Is there a book you recommend they read? I know Intuitive Eating by Elise Rush you've read. I'm in the middle of reading it now. Um, But just what are some of those next steps? They're listening. They're ready. Help me find freedom. Yeah, totally. So by the time I got out of this, I felt like this is my moral obligation to help other women. Because at one point, like I said, I was questioning whether life was even worth it. And as a bubbly, happy, naturally joyful person to get to that kind of dark spot really scared me. And so I felt like so much of my life was consumed and stolen by this disorder. I have to figure out a way to give back. And unfortunately, a lot of the resources that are out there and in traditional eating disorder recovery approaches and traditional therapy approaches are, are failing people. They have a very low success rate. There are some incredible books like Evelyn Triboli and Elise Reich's Intuitive Eating Book that's amazing to start understanding the concept. And at the same time, I will say those of you who have read it or dive into it and you're really still deep in the struggles and the fear, it can be so scary to how do I begin to step-by-step get myself there when I'm so used to feeling comfort. It's an uncomfortable comfort zone. It can be super scary. And so I always say the first place to start is 
just be, if, even if you don't feel ready to change, maybe just start opening your heart to learning a little bit more, read the intuitive eating book. You can listen to, I talk more about all of these things on my podcast, the dear body podcast. And just the thing that kept me from pursuing recovery was for so long was I was afraid I couldn't have it all. I couldn't have a body I felt comfortable in and an easy and effortless relationship with food. And because the the diet industry made me feel like I had to be all or nothing. And then when I would turn to therapy, my well-intentioned therapist made me feel like I couldn't care about my body or that was vain or that would keep me in my struggles. And so what I would say is I want you to know that you can have it all. You can get to a place where you feel comfortable and confident in who you are and your body and have this easy, effortless, natural relationship with food. But a lot of getting there is proving to yourself and giving getting enough social proof that it's possible. So listen to stories of women who have walked this walk, follow people on social media who have been there. And remember, success leaves clues. What have they done? How have they gotten there? On my podcast, I have a whole series of episodes that start with the title, Her Story. And they're interviews with women who have gotten through this process, who have gone through it and who have, who have healed their struggles. And so prove to yourself that it's possible by looking to other women who have done it, who have accomplished it, follow some incredible, you know, intuitive eating advocates on social media and see what, what did they do to get there? So that would be my piece of advice. And you guys can check that out. I think I'm one of the, her stories coming up. So yes, you are on the podcast. Yeah. Um, which I love that conversation with you as well. This has been so great. Thank you so much. I love talking with someone, a fellow binge eater turned intuitive <laughs> eater. Yes. I just live and breathe by intuitive eating. So it's always great talking to someone who's like, you do this too. Isn't it the best (laughs) thing ever? I can't believe people don't. Um, And it is, it is difficult to, to master and it takes time, but it's also difficult and challenging to pursue this dream body and diet all the time. So I tell people if both roads to walk are going to be hard and challenging, but one of them is going to give you a result that is peace and happiness actually, mm-hmm. wouldn't you rather climb that difficult mountain as opposed to the other one that just totally. keeps going? Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for our conversation today. And I just had an awesome time chatting with you. Thank you so much, Victoria. If you enjoyed this episode with Jesse, don't forget to follow her on Instagram at Jesse Jean with three N's. And also you can go to conquerbingeeating.com to find Jesse's workshops where she coaches and helps women. And also she hosts a podcast called the Dear Body Podcast that I was featured on. So you can check that out as well. Thank you so much for listening to Real Pod. If this episode hit you deep and it meant something to you, share it with a friend, send it to someone that you think could use this. And also don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Real Pod. If you are enjoying the podcast and it's helping you or the conversations are fun and you're subscribed and you're a fan, please leave me a review and rate it. It would mean the world. I will be here every Wednesday. We have so many exciting guests coming up. I'm so excited. The holiday season is going to be crazy, but the real pod episode schedule is going to be crazier. Thank you guys so much for listening. Follow us online at RealPod. You can follow me at Victoria Garrick, and I will see you next Wednesday. As always, keep it real. <laughs>